All right, are we on? Sounds good. Okay, good. All right. So, good, good, good. Okay. So, if you weren't here last week, we're finishing up uh, the lesson we started then. Um, we're coming to the end of our study on parables. And I know it's been a while, but hopefully you've learned a good bit. Uh, maybe you view some of the parables of Jesus a little differently than you did before, and you've learned some new things and gained some insights. Um, today we're wrapping up. We'll be starting a new study next week. And we're continuing this lesson uh, that I've got here at the end, which is basically covering all the things we haven't covered so far. Uh, this is kind of our potpourri lesson of sayings and parables that didn't fit neatly into a particular category and all kind of have their own unique um, lessons and, and uh, purposes behind them. So last week uh, we covered a couple. This morning we're going to try to cover three. Uh, so I might be a little quick through some of the material. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll go through it as, as we can. All right. So let's uh, pick up in Matthew chapter 11. Someone would please read Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19. parable in the saying, Jesus presents um, a situation that seems a little uh, contradictory or a little conflicting. So somebody in your own words kind of explain what's going on, not necessarily the meaning behind it yet, but in the illustration he gives. What is it about these children in the marketplace? Okay. Yeah, so they're they're complaining, you know, you're either you're too happy or you're too miserable, right? There's there's no there's no satisfying them, right? Whatever we do, we're unhappy with how you, what you've responded with, right? All right. Yeah, so so we have this issue then of of people not being pleased essentially. All right. Uh Let's go over to to Luke 7. 31 through 35, and somebody will read that. Son of man is come eating and drinking, and you 
be saved, behold, of gluttonous man, a wine bibber, and a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all the children. All right. And those are pretty much word for word the same uh, scripture there. But we have this issue of these, these children that are unhappy, they're unsatisfied. Contextually, what we're talking about, what Jesus is talking about, is related to John the Baptist. You can go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 11 in uh, Matthew, and you'll see that we're talking about John. Uh, John being in prison, and uh, Jesus talking about John because his... Uh, his disciples had come and asked Christ, are you the one that we're looking for? And then he jumps into the section about comparing this generation. And if you, if you notice in the scripture, whenever Jesus talks about this generation, it's generally not a positive thing, right? This generation is code word for uh, people that I have something to teach against, right? Um, but really what we're looking at here is the response of the Pharisees, right? The response of the Pharisees and the scribes, those who were in religious authority and who were opposing John and opposing Jesus, or at least opposing Jesus and not considering John. So I would suggest here the primary audience at the time was the Pharisees. And they were acting, in a sense, childish. Because the problem was the standard that they were applying to John was different from the standard that they were applying to Jesus, right? Um, for different reasons, they were rejecting a unified message from God. Uh, Jesus says here, John came neither eating nor drinking. They say he has a demon, right? John was uh, living in the wilderness and he was teaching. Well, Jesus came and he was being social, right? He was among the people. And what did they say? Well, he's, being, he's around the wrong people, right? Um, instead of hiding away in the wilderness, he's, he's in the wrong places. And so it's almost more this double standard, I guess, this idea um, that the Pharisees were not going to be content regardless, right? This, this situation reveals their heart, that the complaints that they had were not legitimate, and were not well considered and weren't even sincere because it wasn't John's behavior or John's habits and it wasn't Jesus's behavior or what he did but it was what was in the Pharisees hearts we see in the the text talking about these children in the marketplace that we presented you with one situation and you didn't respond how we wanted you to respond and we presented you with a different situation where if you had responded in the first way, you thought we would have been happy, but you didn't respond the way we were going to be happy with then either. And so this, this contradictory um, dissatisfaction represents the Pharisees' response to the teaching of Christ and to the teaching of John. Because what was wrong with Jesus? From the Pharisees' perspective, what was wrong with Jesus? Mm-hmm. But uh, they, what they, they did, they had to come up with a reason to not like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the different reasons for John was different from the reasons for Jesus. And, and it was two opposite things. What John did was he came 
Right. Right. Their their stance was predetermined, and they twisted their objections to support their opposition. Right. Yeah, so all of you guys in different ways have struck upon, I think, the point I was hoping we would get to. Jesus' major flaw, his only flaw, was that he wasn't one of them, right? That's really what it boils down to. He didn't act like them. He didn't talk like them. He didn't live hypocritically like they did. He didn't say the things they said. He didn't value the things they valued. And since he wasn't one of them, through, um, through his, uh, his upbringing and his his background, his reputation, or through his actions, then regardless of what he did, and this same goes for John, right? Regardless of what he did, they were going to find fault. And they were going to reject him because he didn't match their preconceived expectations for what the Messiah should be. Okay? People do that today and even when we in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually, so transitioning us to application for this one. Today, how do we understand this, this saying, this parable, in 2023 in the church? We don't fit in, okay, yeah, we don't fit in with the world, right? We're not necessarily going to match the expectations of the people around us. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you couldn't win and someone was, you know, criticizing you or unhappy with your faith and it seems like no matter what you do, you know, serving God is not going to satisfy this person because ultimately they don't want you to be serving God, right? And so we can't let ourselves be judged by the world because the world's standards are not, they're not absolute and they're not divine, right? God judges us, not the world. What else? I'm going to jump back real quick. Yeah, we go. Uh, what else? Looking to today's application. Church, we cannot be accepted in anything other than what God wants. Okay. Uh, whereas they, you know, they wanted Jesus to be like them, but we can't be like the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I see some applications here both for us on the receiving end but also on the, the giving end, right? Is that we should understand that we are not to set our standards and our behavior based on 
the judgment of the world, right? Like, like here, right? But also, we should not be exercising this type of hypocritical judgment either, right? I shouldn't be holding on to my preconceived notions as well. And I should not be rejecting someone coming to Christ because they don't fit the mold of who I think you know, they should be. So you see how it can, it can happen both ways. Whether I can be the one being judged by someone who has an unfair judgment, or I can be giving an unfair judgment that's not based on Scripture. Okay? Mm-hmm. The, the whole message of Christ is what we've been doing all these years has got to stop. And they were comfortable in their power and where they were, and, and they were totally missing the whole thing. And like Mr. said, Jesus didn't fit the mold. Right. John was telling and they were malcontent. They were never satisfied. They never self-examined. They just wanted everyone. They wanted everything to remain as it Right, because the situation benefited them, right? They were in a good position, yes. They were comfortable, but they were also empowered. And Jesus and John threatened that. They didn't have to change. Right. They didn't have to take up a new work. Does that ever happen to us? Are we threatened to change by Jesus? How do you respond to that? Are you going to twist Jesus' words to fit the life you want to live? Or are you going to make the change? Right. I tell you, you can find a church anywhere to keep you comfortable in a sinful relationship, mm-hmm. except for the true church. Because mm-hmm. when you when you come to the truth and what Christ has said in the scriptures, you have to change. You have to put that sin away. You can't remain comfortable in your sin. But people can fool themselves and find a place to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can find a group of people who will accept just about anything if you just want people That's to ex- accept you as you are. But, but if you're looking to, to change your life, then you're going to be challenged, right? Right, and not only were they holding on to the Old Testament, they were holding on to a flawed implementation of the old law, right? That again, that benefited them. Yeah. So yeah, what we see here, the Pharisees ultimately, 
and you see this represented in the, the parable, they rejected the solemnity, right, the solemnness of the repentance that John was teaching, that you have sin, you need to repent. And they were rejecting the good news, the, the celebratory uh, good news of Jesus bringing forgiveness that that repentance enables, right? So there's two halves of this plan of salvation that God is bringing. And what we see here represented by the, the children is that the Pharisees are rejecting both. And ultimately that means they're rejecting God's plan for his kingdom. All right, any more comments on this before we move to the next one? Mm-hmm. Or, and I wear my pants when I come. Mm -hmm. God looks at our hearts. Mm -hmm. And we have to be careful. We, have to, we don't look at them with a judgmental eye. Mm -hmm. Because we can have a prejudice eye. And people can read that and see that. Mm -hmm. I had two little black girls in Portland who I called grandkids when I preached there. I carried them out one time and called them the grandkids. These folks sitting over, boy, they gave me the eyeball. They shouldn't have done that. I talked to them how their grandparents are having to raise them, and we, we call them our own grandkids. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be careful how we look at people. Mm -hmm. So we give a look of acceptance, mm -hmm. or we give them a look like Jesus gave Peter when he knew he was in trouble. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that one of the lessons here is to not, not prejudge people, right? Because the Pharisees had prejudged John, and they had prejudged Jesus. Regardless of what they did, what they said, they had already made a determination of who they were and what their value was. And we definitely cannot afford to do that in the church as well. Okay, let's move over to Matthew 24. Someone will pick up Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. All right, and then let's go over to Luke chapter 12. Similar section, Luke 12, uh, someone read 39 and 40. talking about a thief breaking into a house in the middle of the night. It's kind of an odd example for Jesus to use, particularly because, you know, you wouldn't really want to be emulating a, a burglar. Um, but what does it represent? Christ's coming. Okay, what about Christ's coming? Is he going to break into your house? <laughs> a time we don't know. Okay. So, so the, the, the symbolism here, the representation, is the suddenness and the unpredictability, right? The thief does not come to your house and schedule an appointment with you to come and break into your house, right? There's not like a sign-up sheet, you know, 
on your front porch and they say, okay, I think I can get in there somewhere between 12 and three, kind of like the uh, internet repair people, right? And then they show up at 11 anyway. Um, but this is a warning, right? A warning that Christ's coming is unpredictable. We do not know when it will be. And what is the implication or what is the conclusion from what Jesus is saying because of that? Be, be ready, be prepared, right? So this particular saying, this particular parable, talks about living with uncertainty. And uncertainty is, is not something that most of us enjoy, right? I, in particular, love to have certainty. Like, I'm, I like to know what my day is going to be like. Uh, I like to uh, get out my phone and, and get my GPS on and know that if I leave at this time, I'll get here at this time. And I like to be a little bit early when I do it. Um, I like to have... Uh, not necessarily routine, but at least expectations for what's going to be coming up. I don't like to be surprised. Well, that's, you know, unfortunate in this particular sense because the one guarantee that we have about the coming of Christ in this sense is that we don't know when it will be. And so if we don't know when Christ is coming, what do we do? Plan every day like he's coming. Be prepared. And what does be prepared mean? Live the Christian life. Anyone else? Teach others so that they won't be lost as well. Okay. Let's go over to Luke chapter 12 again. And this is kind of neat because it kind of ties, well, it's going to tie into uh, the third one, I think. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Someone read. Verses 35 through 38. And this is the, the earlier section of uh, one of the passages. Go ahead. Thirty-eight, yes. All right. So, so this is before we get to the uh, the thief in the night uh, symbolism, but it's a similar idea, right? Uh, what he's saying is, you know, have your uh, maybe here's an example. If you ever if it ever comes a night where you're expecting a tornado warning, at least for me, I've got my tennis shoes ready, right? And I've got my, my, you know, my clothes that I'm going to change into and my jacket ready to go so that if the siren goes off, I can get dressed and get to the shelter quickly, right? And that's kind of what we see here. It says stay dressed for action, right? Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning because you don't know when the master is going to come. And like people who are waiting for their master to come, when he knocks, you will be dressed, you will have your lamp burning, you can open the door and let him in. 
And it says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. What's interesting, too, is he mentions that he will dress himself for service and have them recline at, at the table. And we'll, we're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, but notice he says if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch. And so kind of implication there is it could get kind of late, you know. It could get, the uncertainty could grow over time. Is he really going to come? Maybe he's not going to come and I'll take a nap, right? Time will go on and it might get to the point where you're thinking, well, you know, maybe I can just be lazy for a little while because it seems like maybe he's not coming tonight. Let's go to um, Titus, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity okay and let's also read Hebrews chapter 10 uh, verses 24 and 25 Hebrews 10 24 and 25 Okay, what do these last two passages have in common when it comes to this thief in the night idea? This idea of uncertainty. Yeah, both of these passages are instructions of what you need to be working on, right? As you're waiting for Christ to return, be considering and doing these things. The, the idea of the thief in the night is concerning to those who aren't prepared, and those who aren't prepared are those who aren't you know, members of the Lord's body, who aren't serving Christ. But to those who are, we're not sleeping in the night waiting for the thief to come. We've got our chair up by the door and we're sitting and we're waiting, right? The idea here is that the Christian is actually waiting for him to return, being alert, working on things, being ready for him to appear, not that you're going to be caught off guard like everybody else and you just happen to be in a better situation. We're, we're looking forward to it, right? We're not going about our lives, knowing that at some point it will happen, but not really caring about when or how. And so, in the meantime, we're busy, right? We're working, we're doing things. We are serving and we're growing. Hmm. Another way of looking at this 
coming. Mm -hmm. If he does not come during our lifetime, in reality, what we're really looking forward to and being ready is not knowing when our time comes to die. Mm -hmm. And so you've got, you, can, you know, we can um, pull out here after services this morning, be killed, mm -hmm. like that. So uh, realistically, until Christ comes, if he doesn't come in my lifetime, uh, I don't know when I'm going to die. I've got to be ready. Right. And, and that's part of this living with uncertainty, right? It's because I, I don't know when Christ is coming, and I don't know when my time is coming either. Um, I don't want to send anybody on an existential crisis here, but just kind of relating to the material, one thing that kind of worries me sometimes is the idea of a brain aneurysm, where your brain could just suddenly pop a vessel and you could die, right? Um, I read a couple years ago of a student at Auburn University who was just walking down campus. She had a brain aneurysm, she fell, and she died. And to think that we live in a world where just suddenly, without warning, and with very limited opportunity for treatment, it just happens, right? How do you live with that uncertainty? How do you not stay up at night worrying about what could happen to you? Well, if we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The way you deal with uncertainty is through faith. And if you don't have faith, you're just living with uncertainty, right? You don't know what the future holds. And regardless of what happens in the future, you don't have any certainty of what's going to happen to you. And so that faith brings us that certainty and helps us be prepared for when Christ comes or when our time comes, whatever it may be. Part of this is encouraging one another. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly, and that's, we get that from the Hebrews passage, right? Is the, the idea of, of coming together, exhorting each other, is to help keep each other get along there, right? To, to continue along together. This isn't just a, an individual personal thing. You know when you're expecting company and getting your house ready? I don't, but Allison does. Well, Jesus' teaching is full of that. Right. we got work to do, and that kind of keeps you from dwelling on the negative. All right. Well, last one. 
I got five minutes, probably less than that, but hopefully we can get through it. Uh, the farmer and the servant. Let's go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Someone will read verses 7 through 10. passage talks about a mindset, right? A perspective of humility from the work that's being done. Now, when I was doing research and study for this one, I saw a lot of people take the perspective that this parable is about being a good employee. And I guess you could take that perspective, but I mean, I see the, a more spiritual application here of us serving God, right? What is my perspective and my, my mindset when serving God? Do I expect things from Christ in return for the duties that I'm doing? Am I, am I demanding you know, his, um, his service because I've done something to earn it? And so in my mind, this is more about not earning your salvation and, and having a, a humble perspe uh, perspective as a servant of God. Um, I guess you could, you could say, you know, put this attitude into your life and this would happen in the workplace too. But I think, I think making this exclusively about an employer and an employee is probably missing the, the point of the symbolism here. Um, but it establishes roles, right? It establishes authority in this relationship between the, the farmer and the servant. So in this passage, symbolically, who is the servant and who is the farmer? God, God and us? Yeah, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that, that God is in the, the farmer role and I'm in the servant role, right? I think that's the lesson being taught here. Um, so yeah, let's go back to, to Luke chapter 12. We were just there for the previous... Um, thief in the night idea. But let's go back to this idea of waiting on your master to show and being dressed and ready. Someone read verse 37 again of Luke chapter 12. Grammatically, from what I can tell reading that passage, that seems to kind of illustrate the opposite occurring. Um, I'm going to reference real quickly uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, the idea that the first or the last will be first and the first last, as well as Matthew 23, verse 12. If I can get there. Uh, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So, I think, from reading this passage, the idea is, I'm not expecting anything from the service that I render to God, right? I'm not going around asking for recognition or asking for anything in return because I understand my role in, in this relationship. However, I think it's also true to understand from Jesus' teaching that 
he's going to do that, right? Because from what I read, those who are ready for him to return when the time comes, we will be sitting at the table with him and he will be serving us, right? That's what I get from reading this passage. So I think the difference here is not whether it happens, because I think the scripture teaches it will happen, but I think the difference is when it will happen and what is my perspective and my mindset? Am I doing it for that purpose or am I doing it because I'm serving God, right? I'm gonna let him decide how and when to reward me for the work I've done. I'm not gonna to come to him with my terms and demand that. Does that make sense? Hope, I hope that makes as much sense to you as it, as it did when I was kind of thinking on it. Just because the end result might be the same, the way I look at it might determine whether that happens or not. Um, and so what is the purpose of being humbled as someone who is serving God? And what is the, what is the purpose of having this mindset? I think it enables you to get the job done. When you're not distracted by rewards or you're not distracted by complaints, then again, you're, like we said a minute ago, you're able to put your head down or your nose down and, and get the work done. Um, so yeah, uh, any, any comments on this particular passage? When the master and the servants during their day, they understood that because they had to serve their masters. Right. That's a concept we have trouble with. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have really as a, a quite analogous experience today, but I think I think it makes enough sense and we get enough detail to kind of help us understand it. Um, all right, well I hope this study has been good, not just today, but the past several weeks that we've been covering all this material. I hope it has been informative. And next week we will be starting a new study on Proverbs. So if you're going to do a little bit of reading ahead, uh, get out your book of Proverbs and start reading. What'd you say? I'm not going to sleep in my shoes. <laughs> Who's going to sleep in their shoes? And it's none of your business how I sleep, <laughs> what clothes I wear when I sleep. <laughs>